is the 911 Calls Podcast with the operator and his exact twin. Minus being born and raised in Kentucky and his heroic military service and being born to a completely other mother, Kent Chungus. I'm not going to your sister's room. Get out! All right, sure is. Hang on, hang on. Get out! Oh, hello, Kent. Oh, uh, oh, hey, y'all. Hi. How are you doing since we last talked? I am just okay. Me too. I'm not going to go into anything else. It's pointless. It was a rhetorical question. My response didn't matter. Yeah, it's true. Well, also, it's rhetorical because we've been talking so long. But we did kind of water something down recently. We have we have pulled our foot off the gas on the Daily Show just a bit. So it didn't feel like we were just slogging through uncuts. You know, now we have a little bit more to talk about when we do uncuts. Not uncut. We just did was fun. It was. It was fun for you. Yeah. Hey, Kent. What? Sometimes as parents, it can be hard to see problems growing in our kids because they kind of happen slowly or there there are many steps for a problem to kind of truly manifest itself. And often I think we we overlook the small things that happen because we don't necessarily see it as a a literal fork in the road for them. Are, Are there any life lessons that you've learned, though, where you might be less apt for your quote, kids to be kids due to the lessons that you learned or things that you experienced? Absolutely. You know, yeah, like things where you would feel justified in like cutting off their freedom or agency early on regarding certain behaviors or experiences if you saw them going down a certain path. Well, those are two different questions. Okay. First question then. First question is based on your experiences, are there certain things where you would kind of lop off kids. Are you saying like things that I wouldn't want them to have to learn the hard way? Yes. Okay. The first one I learned when I was about probably eight years old, Mm. uh, probably nine years old. I would never let them, I would never watch and just let them piss on an electric fence. (laughs) That's a very good lesson. The urethra is not. I watched a friend do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it really put them down, down and out for a while. And I laughed but I knew that was me learning from somebody else's behavior. I don't ever want to do that, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna pass that down to my children. And I think that's a form of evolution. I I would agree with that because it's one thing to like lick a nine volt; it's another to ask lightning to enter your urinary tract. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it literally doubled him over and and put him on the ground. You don't know how how much wiring is going on inside of your body until you ask electricity to follow a liquid stream. Until your Franz de Franz or whatever it's called is on fire. <laughs> your vast deference. Your vast deference. Yeah, exactly. Feels like it's being sucked on by Thor. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Very true. I'd say the second thing is I would never let them um, run across a frozen pond. Mm. And all these are things that I would just tell them about. Like, you don't need to learn this the hard way. Let me tell you about it. Um, I tried to race a dirt bike across the frozen pond one time and fell through and almost died. Yeah. And I was like, this is something that I should let my children know about when I have them. 
I would never let them get curious about fire. My grandfather nearly beat me to death when I was a young lad because I had a period where I really liked fire. And I would take my grandmother's pots and I would sneak upstairs and I would burn stuff in the pots. <laughs> and then my papa found out and he just really beat the sweat breaks off my sweat. Just <laughs> and I never bothered fire again. <laughs> so I would. And I'm not just because they, sh- but I also don't want them to burn down the house. Yeah, I mean that was very dangerous to me to be up there playing with fire in a in a pot. And then probably the the fourth thing would be don't I would never let them throw apples through the new roof uh, of the neighbor's garage. Okay, <laughs> like the that sounds specific, doesn't it? Is this like a like plastic corrugation on top of the garage? Or it was foam. Foam. It was like it was like not even foam. Like insulation? Like styrofoam. Styrofoam. He had gotten brand new styrofoam on the inside of his garage. He's very proud of it. Mm. Uh, it looked good. It was nice and white. And there was an apple tree beside the garage. Yeah. And me and my buddy, his fa- it was his father's garage. We got a bunch of apples, and we just spent all day just having the time of our life just throwing apples through that roof. And Was this an unfinished roof? It was in a garage. It was in a garage. It was on the inside. Oh, okay. Like in the rafters. Not not on the outside. We were inside the garage looking up. So he just put he had it put in to cover the rafters and make it look nice and finished. I see. And so he had brought people in to do it. And like the day after, we just went in there with like a thousand apples and just really let this new roof have it. And he was like really upset. Oh, yeah. He was not happy with us. And I got a whooping for that. I remember one time in Missouri, I must have been 10 or so. And there was an unfinished house a couple doors down. And my brother and I went over and we found those. We found like segments of those of the, the nail gun cartridges, you know, where the nails are all kind of plastic together in a, yeah. in a line. And we thought those were the coolest things. It felt like a ninja star. And so we went into this place and it was sticks and then and then the foam insulation in between the sticks, you know, like to before they were putting up they hadn't put up drywall yet. And we spent the whole day chucking these ninja stars of nail strips through the foam insulation. And that stuff isn't cheap. No, we we there was not a wall in that house that didn't have either that or us fisting the nails like Wolverine and then just punching and shredding parts of the wall. Like I hate to think, but I'll bet we did ten thousand dollars in damage that day. Did they know who did it? Nope. I wonder if there's a statute of limitations on that crime that you know. just p- publicly confessed to on the radio. What year would this have been? It would have been in the 80s. What year specifically? It would have been 86. What location was this? Springfield, Missouri. In Springfield, Missouri. What would you say the road was that this happened on? It was on it was actually on it was on Comanche Way. Over by the Sam's Club. Uh, so if you had a house built around 1986 on Comanche Way in Springfield, Missouri, uh, just write a well-worded email to 1159 Media. His name is Sam. I don't want to ruin the allure. 
Um, it is not the operator. <laughs> That's not going to hold up in court. Right. <laughs> and you will receive a check for reparations. <laughs> oh, I did some damage. I had another friend. First of all, I got to give out reparations. <laughs> I had another friend whose dad put a bunch of stuff out to donate to the local thrift store. And they were coming around to pick stuff up. And so he had put stuff out. But it, to me, as a stupid kid of at that time would have been seven or eight in Issaquah, Washington, it looked like he was putting it out for the garbage to me. It was just like looked like junk. But he had donated a very, very operational bicycle, his daughter's bicycle. He was donating it to the thrift store. And they were going to come by and pick it up. And I thought he was putting it out for the trash. So I proceeded to take boulders and just crush the daylights out of those wheels and spokes. Everything was springing and sproinging. Talk about looking like a punk. <laughs> just the the confusion that man must have. <laughs> like, why? He, he was so mad. He came out. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then he told me what was happening, and I believe he said that I can't ever come back to that house. Yeah. I don't think I did. I like how you're looking at me when you said that. You look – you still to this day, 30 years later, <laughs> look like he wronged you. <laughs> well, my friend Jeff Harris lived in the house. And that's a sign of a sociopath. <laughs> I miss Jeff Harris. I miss him, and I never got to see him again because – because his dad told me I couldn't come back. So, hey, Jeff, hope you're doing well. I think he died. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Well, the second the second question you asked me, what would I nip in the bud? Yeah, if I caught it right. Yep. What would I? What would be behavior that I would be like immediately concerned about? Right. I've got three things. The first, if I ever saw my children being cruel to animals, okay, that would be like a huge red flag for me, and I would shut that Swear. down very quickly, and I would also probably get counseling because um, doing what we do with true crime, you know that that's always a bad sign. Yes. I Animal cruelty. Even yeah. if they don't end up being a serial killer, they're probably going to end up being not a good person. Right. <clears throat> Fortunately, my oldest girl is an animal nut. She loves animals. She's that's all she thinks about. My second, uh, my second daughter, my youngest daughter, is okay with animals. She likes a lot of things, and she's just okay with animals. She's not. She's sweet to them, but she doesn't go out of her way to pet one or anything. And then our son, our boy, is just very indifferent to them. But none of them are cruel. Yeah. And then the second thing it would be bullying. I'm very big against them ever being bullies at school. And also shutting down bullying if they see it. So if if I was to get word from a teacher that hey your child is being a bully, I would I think I would be f I would be furious. Yeah, we would have some problems, some issues. There would be a stern talking to, to say the least, in the uh, Chungus household. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing, behavior probably most concerning out of the other two is if I ever caught them, any of them ever, laughing at anything that Seth Rogen ever said. <laughs> Shut that down. No agency for you. Out. Out. Out of the house. You go live with school shooters. Worse. Worse. In my opinion. <laughs> oh, that is. 
You mean it. You mean that. You know, and it's isn't it interesting when you start really thinking about the things where, you know, we all kind of want to be cool parents and we want we, we don't want to be tyrants. We know what that feels like. Probably in one way or another, we all felt like somebody was a tyrant to us. I have a short list in my head and my heart where I would shut down the behavior like in an instant because I damn well know better. Some of it's human behavior, some of it's biological, I'd say. One thing being gun handling. If I caught one of my kids having pulled a firearm out of the safe or they had possession of it, one, and they weren't supposed to, and two, if they were handling it all, like if I walked in Sam 2.0's room and he had I trust Sam with firearms and I know he knows where they're supposed to be and that they come out when we go shoot, you know, and that's, and they're secured in the car. He knows the whole routine. But if I walked into his room and I saw one of the guns just laying on his bed, I'd be like, sorry, bro, you lost your permission. Yes. We'll revisit this in the future. Because you have little girls. I have little girls. Our house is any time of the day is full of multiple neighbor kids it's very important to me that there be a high level of respect. And every single one of my kids, if you ask them, what has your dad taught you about what comes out of the end of the gun? They say, dad taught me that I should always pretend that there's a 30-foot flame coming out the end of the gun that kind of cements in your head. You avoid aiming it anywhere. If there's a 30-foot flame coming out of the end of the gun, you don't lay it down on stuff. You don't let that out of your sight. Yeah, especially near gasoline. Yes, don't ever. I, and I would make the argument that if there's a at any point ever a thirty foot flame coming out of your gun, yeah, you're probably using the wrong ammunition. I would, I would agree. You might want to get that checked. And also, you need to find an armorer. <laughs> yes, right away. <laughs> especially if you're not wearing a backpack of any kind that has cylinders on it. Yeah, <laughs> and. <laughs> Now, that is a problem. You were <laughs> this next one. This next one is pivotal. It's controversial, and I'm going to preface this with: I think there's different categories slash gears I would shift into with this one because I'm I'm a realist in that I know that there are drugs and substances out there that somebody can take that societally. May we may lean one way legally. They may lean one way or another, depending on what state you're in or what county or whatever, and or that your doctor prescribed you. But in, I I want to establish a very healthy respect for using substances. And what I mean by healthy respect is a fear of a respect, a respectful fear and, and reverence for chemicals that we put in our bodies. And I'm also a realist, you know, it, I'm not going to fly off the handle if I find out my kid smoked weed like I would if I knew that he tried meth for the first time. But there are certain things when it comes to certain levels like with prescription drugs, if I knew that he was misman or he if any of my kids were mismanaging their prescription drugs or leveraging a prescription drug that wasn't theirs, I would shut that down immediately. I don't care if you've got two independent hands and an independent thinking brain. I will shut that down. 
also you think you will i wouldn't i would until i was told that i can't either by cps yeah or my wife or if somebody would have to overrule me because you're talking about pre-18 yes yeah. Oh, okay. 100%, okay. 100%. Okay. I thought I was thinking down the road, like they're 23 years old and they're abusing narcotics or whatever. No, th- that's on them. Like realistically, it sucks, but realistically, you can't do anything. At that point, I've either checked or failed to check the box that I've given you proper instruction and let you allowed you to train yourself to govern yourself. I've either done a good enough job or not. And you're either going to do those things and you'll circle back because of the way I parented you and you'll, you'll, you'll end up okay or, or it'll ruin you. But when you're, when you're a minor, I will handle those situations differently. But the box that I check where I will remove your agency from your. And it's weird that their occupation would have an effect on whether or not you would let them try drugs. What do you mean? Like only you, you would only control what they put in their body if they were, you know, going for coal and earth products. Yeah. And only if they were minors. <laughs> so if they were like a That's why like I'll know that we are entering a gateway drug situation when and if we somehow end up near a mine or our children are gravitating toward employment at a mine shaft. I'll know things are getting scary. Sketchy. Those guys make good money. They do. They do. Real good money. For a very short period. <laughs> more money than the, probably even, yeah, probably even more money than the teachers that told them they wouldn't be worth, worth nothing. Yeah. And this one, I know this is controversial and a lot of people are like, oh, kids are going to be kids, so you can't stop them from doing everything. And I agree, you know, uh, but I, I do think that there is a line as a parent that I will fight so hard, tooth and nail, if I know that you are using right. addictive substances, and th- that means that there are certain things that aren't on that list that where I where I feel like I would have to contemplate very heavily trying to limit your access to those things because once you go down the road, I just know how it goes. If you're a minor and doing that, nah. And I'll even say not even illegal. I would say if if I knew that alcohol use was being done by a minor, I, I really am okay leaning on the, dude, that's straight up illegal for you to do. You know, I'd rather have them a healthy, have them have a healthy respect of the law than have more of an understanding of whether or not this is quote going to kill them or not. I'd, I'd rather them lead with leading a life that's law abiding first. I hate that comment. I don't know. I guess we just have different opinions on this stuff. Well, okay. Uh, we could go down the list. I mean, prescription drugs, you'd probably agree. Like Anything outside of alcohol, marijuana, and mushrooms, Yeah, I'm going to shut down hard. That's what I'm saying. Hundred. That's exactly what I'm saying. Hard. Yes. That's exactly what but I'm I, saying. And, and I'm not saying that alcohol, mushrooms, and marijuana are okay, but I'm just saying if our boy, say, uh, he's 17 years old yeah. and I caught caught him with a joint. Right. I wouldn't be like – I wouldn't lose my mind or anything. I'd be like, come on, man. No, like, me neither. If you're going to – like, just don't be an idiot. Yeah. Weed isn't the worst thing. I would rather them smoke weed than drink alcohol. I'd rather them smoke weed than, than drink alcohol or smoke, smoke, smoke or vape or anything. Yeah, I would too. You know. 
weed in the next 20 years, I predict, will be legal throughout the entire United States. Yeah, I think we're going to see a big flip-flop where tobacco is almost forbidden and weed is has taken its place, its rightful place, I would say, in medicinal and in not – maybe everybody's got their opinions on rightful place in the social sphere. But yeah, definitely. I agree. So I guess we don't have all that a different an opinion then because I'm not going to lose my sweat if I find out that one of my kids in their teens, obviously like 16, 17, 18, if they're, if they're smoking weed or they tried mushrooms, like, yeah, that's, I mean, they're kid that, yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be hooked on heroin, you know, by the time they're, they're 25. It doesn't mean that at all. If you did a consensus, I would say if you went out and got and, and asked, a hundred percent of the people that are successful now in their forties, thirties, and ask them how many of you did you try weed? Did you try alcohol? Did you try mushrooms yeah. in your teenage years? I guarantee you, at least fifty percent would say yes. Oh, I I'll bet you it's more like eighty, ninety. Yeah, I, I was being kind of conservative with my guess, but yeah, I would say so too as well. Yeah, um, it's just part of growing up is experimenting, and it's like. I think when people end up hooked on heroin at 24 years old is because they weren't comfortable with just experimenting with those things. They moved on to, you know, yes. heroin and pills and then and then you're in trouble. And that's the hard part. To, that's the hard conversation to have with a kid is to be a realist and know that they're going to experiment. But then have the conversation that, hey, where you're going can lead. Like if you talk to any addict they all started with weed, and that's not a that's not a, a that's not an accusation. Yeah, but at, that's that's not fair because everybody. I mean, everybody has done. It's like saying, it's like going, it's like going to every person on my six hundred pound life and be like, "Where did you start?" It's like, well, it started with food, Twinkies. Yeah, started okay. with Twinkies. Like, that's not fair. Okay, but my point, it's not fair to the drug, and that's what I mean is. See, and that's the challenge with the, being a parent is you're going to have that conversation. And it's probably going to go one ear in one ear and out the other. You're not wrong for saying it because it's true, but whether or not it ends up equating to every outcome, super not true. But I would put it in the same camp as like when your kid starts having relationships and, you know, their fingers wander. And then you have that conversation you're like, hey, this is where that ends up. It's hard. Once you start going down that road, this happens next. And then this, and then all of that conversation is, as a parent, you're almost like, oh, this is almost petty because duh. But then you've got to say all of that can end up in pregnancy that you didn't expect. You know, so you've got to have the conversation, but you can't shut it all down because they're experimenting necessarily. That's going to be based on their own judgment. And that's where yeah. I draw the line addictive. Like if I know if I know that's happened and you're still a minor and you're in my in my house, I will shut it down. Because And I agree with that with the with the sexual stuff. Like yeah. it's I know they're gonna do it. I know it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen in my house. Yeah, not going to. I'm going to at least do what I can to prevent it from happening. And I think that's appropriate. I, I think it's appropriate to to say, "Hey, this is hot. This when you touch this, it's hot." And and my job, first and foremost, as your parents, is is to try to have you avoid touching hot things. You, if you're going to touch them, you'll at least know that I told you not to. Two other things on my. You also don't want to be a parent, though. That your children are afraid to talk to. Oh, 100%. So there's a delicate balancing act there. You don't want to be, man, I, I, I used to, uh, 
whenever I was growing up, there was this girl that I liked a lot. We ended up dating for a little bit in like middle school, but we were friends our whole life. And she unfortunately has passed away, but you killed her. No, she was in a car accident. Oh, but she was raised in a very strict Christian household. Yeah. And very, very strict. And when we graduated high school and she went to college, she went crazy. <laughs> like, Slingshot child. Not like crazy, like she didn't lose her mind, but just like it was like she was getting out all of that. Instead of, you know, the stuff that we had all gradually got out of our systems over a period of years, it was like, oh, yeah. You know, like get like because she never got to really live. And so for a period, for a while there, she was lost, man. Like just really went, was wild, a wild girl, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to be around, <laughs> yeah. but really wild. Yeah. And I, I think that's what happens when you try too hard to, to helicopter parent. Yep. I think there's a, I think there's a balancing act there where you, you're not being like the cool parent, but you also have to let them make mistakes. Yes. You got to let them have fun and make mistakes and be and be wrong. I think the hardest things for me as a parent to figure out is in the moment having the wisdom to know what is a teaching moment and what is something I should just let go. That's a hard one. And then part 2 is have I taught them proper principles enough? And given them enough chance to experiment with governing themselves, with being independent, with having agency, with having my body, my choice, or this is my life, you don't understand. Have I, have I taught them enough principle-wise that they are going to be a, moving toward being a healthy, level-headed adult? That's a struggle. And then, and then that moment at the end where I think where a lot of parents, they look back and they're like, okay – I might have removed too much freedom. I might have removed too much agency, independence, ability to experiment. And that's where I think you get your slingshot child. They're held back. They're held back. They're held back. And as soon as you let that kid go, boom, boom. they go right from the sacrament store to the candy store. <laughs> and it was really sad with her in particular because, you know, right whenever she was coming out of that period of her life where she was figuring out, you know, who she was and – and and starting to get things together and she was always the best you know she was awesome just an awesome human being a funny caring fun human being Would her smile light up a room it, it you know people say that but she really did oh. everybody loved her okay she was like one of the dudes just so much fun she's actually was with us whenever i was talking about the getting lost in the cave oh yeah if you remember and it was so sad when that happened to her because she was on that upswing where it's like, oh, okay. She was like, come. And then the car wreck. And the car wreck wasn't, didn't have anything to do with drugs or alcohol or anything. It was just a freak accident. You know, she had just gotten off work. Oh. And car, it was just tragic. It was so sad. God, it broke us. Oh. All her friend group, because she meant so much to all of us. And it's no like fault of the parent. Like they were just doing what they thought was right. You know, they were being parents. Yeah. We all, we all wreck a kid. You know, we all worry about ruining a kid more than we worry about making a perfect child, I think, you know. And that's – they just did it. They loved her. Yeah. You know, it was about love. It wasn't – they didn't do anything wrong. That's another one on my list though is respecting their mother. You can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me 
And if you're a boy and you, you, you get up in my face and you now are six foot, almost six foot one, he's got a voice seven octaves lower than mine. When he gets in my face, there's a physical element there and, you know, I'll be able to check that. Not that I'm going to beat my son, but, you know, there's, there's something there. But it's a different story with my daughters and my son when it comes to their mothers. And that is a, that is a, that is a very short fuse that I have is, is them dis, being disrespectful to their mother. I think that's a very, very valuable lesson to learn is I think a lot comes off of uh, manifests itself by somebody becoming trained to disrespect their mother. Yeah, I agree. And significant others. I think that's the other one If is mistreatment of our significant others I think is a sign of an unhealthy mind and – can be fixed in a lot of cases, but it's something I would I would counsel if I saw it happening. I think those that's my list. Oh, this is heavy. I feel like we need to yeah. rub each other's backs or maybe spoon for a bit, just for body heat. Shotgun little spoon. <laughs> Was there anything in your household growing up that you wished now, that's a weird one, but Knowing what you know now and having gone through what you went through, is there anything in your household that you wish had been more strict about? No. Okay. No, my mom, I think my mom had the perfect blend of strictness and freedom with us. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, she's raised four kids, and out of four of us, three have never like really spent time in jail. And the one that he had a rough patch for a little bit, but he's doing good now as well. He's been clean for years. He's got a good job. He's a great father. He's doing great. So she's four for four as far as I'm concerned. That's amazing. I think my mom was a genius when it came to the leniency and strictness ratio. Mm -hmm. That's good. I wouldn't change anything. I don't think I would either, actually. I remember this is maybe too much information. But my parents had a very open dialogue with us. Our, my household was very much, you got a problem, let's talk about it. Okay, here's the story. Oh, I almost can't believe I'm going to say this. But I was in high school. I was dating my high school girlfriend, girlfriend that I had all the way through high school. And, and I'll just banner this statement with, I've, I, never had, I never had sex until I was married. <laughs> but... Did just about everything else, you know, as a good, ironic Christian boy. Right. As a little Mormon boy, (laughs) were you one of those that believed that the butt was – No, no. The butt, that's that's free to go because that's not popping any. No, and that that I've I've that's kind of a a Catholic joke of sorts that you know that's a that's a a way still to make it to the altar. The cheat butt. It's like the game shark for sex. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I never went that far as far as that exception because I know myself too well and I know that I have an addictive personality. That's the Okami code. Yeah, Konami code. (laughs) (laughs) Up, up, down, down, left, right, brown dot. No, I I never did that. I never did that. But uh, you know, I made too. Ma- I made many exceptions. And looking back on it, I gotta say, you know, in in my rule, my head of parent parental rule books, the one. Oh, I almost. I'm embarrassed to say this, but the one rule that I that I feel like I violated the most 
in doing all of that with with people when I was younger is nothing about me. I just really feel like I messed with a lot of people's heads. Like I I know that I had experiences on a date where I took virtue, you know, and, and not in a criminal way or anything. I mean, everybody was complicit. But looking back on it, I'm like, I wonder if that person would have better been better off just never knowing me. I may be a bit critical of myself, but I remember one time I had come back from a date with my high school girlfriend and she mentioned to me on the date, she's like, something's wrong because I should be on my period. And we talked about that and I'm like, what does that mean? And, you know, we talked about it and everything. So- How old were you? 26? <laughs> <laughs> yep. The uh, the chastity belt had just been unlocked. No, um, no I was probably 16, 17, 17, probably 17. And I came home and my parents were asleep. It was like 1 a.m. And I stood at the foot of their bed and I just remember the conversation that I had. I said, hey, I have to, I have to tell you guys something. I'm not sure what's happening. And I just remember my mom sitting up in bed bewildered. My dad's still like probably 90% asleep. He's aware that I'm in there talking and stuff, but he's he's not engaged in the conversation at this point. But my mom was like, all right, okay, oh, son, okay, but you haven't had sex? I'm like, no. Sam, Sam, then you don't have anything to worry about. I'm like, mom. You thought you got her no. Hold and then no record that's, scratch. That's hold on. Hold on. <laughs> okay. What did you think you had done All right. that got her pregnant? So that's this is the this is the too much information part of the story and, and also explains the level of discourse that I was able to have with my parents and freely. Is so I was like, Mom, you're not listening to me. She's like, son, it doesn't make any sense. There's no and I'm like, look, mom, we took all the seats out of the van. We're up at Table Rock. Things are happening and my hands are going everywhere that they shouldn't. Her hands are going all over the place and stuff happened. And I'm thinking that when that happened, maybe I manually introduced it to her on accident. And she's like, son, okay, I guess that might be maybe possible, but probably I think you may be over. Son, I'm disappointed. Was she Mormon too? Yeah. Uh, no. Well, okay. Here's a funny thing. Is she wasn't. I just knowing your mother. Yeah. I just wish I could have been a fly on the wall. Oh. I just wish. But she was just like, okay, I, you know, and I, she she kind of had to vacillate between these two things. She's like, son, you don't have anything to worry. This is literally almost next to impossible. And at the same time, she'd be like, I'm disappointed that you would even put yourself in this predicament. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. And then that that's that's meaningful to me because I had an open dialogue with my parents where I could get that specific and technical with a story and they were hanging rather than hanging me. But then my dad would wake up and he was always the one that sobered me up the most. My mom, I broke her heart and, and that hurt broke my heart. And I knew when I broke my mom's heart and that was almost more of a lesson than any punishment I ever got. But when my dad would sit up during those conversations and be like, all right, son, here is the here is how responsibility works with these things 
And, you know, he would, he would remind me that I'm not respecting a woman in my life, that I'm putting them in jeopardy, that, you know, he would, he would, and it wasn't a finger wag as much as he's like, I want you to experience these things in the right time and place, but you are not just hurt, you know, and it was just cool to have that. And I walked away heavy because uh, because of what I had done, but I didn't walk away feeling like I had been banished, you know, they, they loved me. And they love and they loved the heck out of my girlfriend. Yeah. And you know, if at that moment, if things had started to shift the other way, and and that was actually a thing that had manifested itself, they'd be like, "All right, Sam, you're sleeping in the garage. You can come on in here, girlfriend. You're staying here." So the way that that worked out was, like two thieves, we secretly went in and we tried, we bought a pregnancy. We got an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> no, we brought we bought one of those pregnancy tests from the gas state from the like Walgreens or something, and then so we to the infantry. What was so funny about it was we were like panicked. We got it, and then we're like, well, "We can't do this at my house. We can't do this at my house. We could do it, but then we'd have to burn it, you know." And we're like, "We're really thinking this through." We're like, "The mall. We'll go to the mall." So we go to the mall and we walk down the long corridor. This that, could be a television show, The Secret Lives of Mormon Kids. Just, we go to I the got mall. pregnant from a hand job. <laughs> I told you that's how you get pregnant. Pregnant, 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 pregnant. It'll be the only hand job pregnancy ever recorded in history. Okay, so we go to the mall. We walk down the long corridor. Literally felt like the Green Mile to the bathrooms. And, you know, the mall music's playing. You know, it's all positive and happy. Yeah. Families are milling about. And I just stand there in the hall. What year was this? Oh, gosh. That would have been 92, 92. Oh, people got 93. their Sir Mix-a-Lot CDs, <laughs> out tapes, cassettes. They were coming out. They were just streaming out of Sam Goody. <laughs> yeah. So I stand. Wind suits everywhere. <laughs> it just sounds like everybody's walking around wearing a Swacking Walmart bags. Everybody's talking about the new shop hot topic. Yeah. Everyone's full on Sabaro pizza. Oh, anyway, so I'm I'm standing there and I'm standing there like I'm at the NICU looking through the glass at all the babies that are like tubed up. I stand there in the hallway outside of the women's bathroom, but I, you know, offset myself a little so it doesn't look like a creeper. And she goes in, and that was that had to have been the longest, like, eight minutes of my life. Yeah. Oh, and then she came out, and everything was all right. And, uh, you know, everything got, just kind of went on. But I, I was like, that was a moment in my life where, like, that's a fork in the road that I knew was coming because I knew I had known enough because my parents had taught me enough. And it wasn't like churchy or religious or Christian or anything like that. They just taught me reality, you know, and I was. That also explains your irrational fear of hand jobs. <laughs> Look, that was different. You have very coarse hands. Yeah. I worked in a machine shop. I don't know what you want from me. I swear I had lead slivers. <laughs> anyway, that was a long story. Like but... getting jerked off by Shrek. <laughs> It's also weird that I only have three big fingers on my hand, so. <laughs> I have hands like the feet of a Ninja Turtle. 
man. Well, speaking of probably something closer to my life today, we're actually heading to March of 2012. And that's a month and a year, not a specific March that occurred in 2012, just so you know. Okay. We're heading to a little town called... Or a, or a cause. Or a cause, yeah. It wasn't the March of 2012. Yeah. I'm sure there was a March in 2012 that probably was important. Oh, yeah. Probably a million-man march or, I don't know, something was happening. But we're going to a little town called Magna, Utah. Magna is what is known as a metro township. And that's a small urban suburb of the Salt Lake City area. That's right. Even Salt Lake City has some mean streets. Fun fact, I know this personally, at the McDonald's restaurant downtown in Salt Lake City, you have to get a special coin from one of the workers to use to unlock the bathroom. That helps keep homeless people from showering in the toilet, which is a privilege only afforded to those that purchase a hamburger or an cheeseburger or two all beef patty special sauce, loaded cheese pickles, and you want a sesame seed bun. Salt Lake is a very similar place to other medium-sized cities. It has its dark seedy parts and it has its white-collar seedy parts and it has parts that don't have many seeds and then some parts that do have seeds, some people have many seeds, like 10 seeds per family. Others just have a few. But today's call takes place by a woman. Isn't it also like the Mormon capital of the world? Well, it's kind of where everything kicked off. I mean, yeah. But you know what? It's not It's not predominantly Mormon. I think it's like 30 40% Mormon as far as Salt Lake City. Salt goes. Lake City? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very eclectic. It's... It's the Portland of Utah, I'd say. Everything I've been told is a lie yeah. about Salt Lake City. Everybody that uh, you would hear talking about Salt Lake City visited Salt Lake City. So they see like the temple or they see some, you know, they see a bank called Zion's Bank and they kind of have a an opinion on what's happening. But the majority of Salt Lake is is a very, very complex melting pot. It's it's not a Mormon industrial complex by any stretch. Okay. Today's call takes place by a woman who had a few seeds. Have you figured out yet that I'm talking about kids when I say seeds? I have. Yeah, okay. yeah I've put that. Yeah. All right. Anyway, this woman had a few kids' seeds, and one of them she has had issues with in 2012, March of 2012, a teenage seed with seemingly teenage seed issues. It's growing, doesn't feel like the ground that he's growing in is as good as what he sees elsewhere on Instagram. You know, might not feel like— Reminds me of that Travis Tritt song, Where the Corn Don't Grow. Yeah, exactly. Was that Travis? That wasn't Travis Tritt. No, that was was Randy Jenkins. Right. Barry Barry McGovern. Chet. It was Travis Tritt, where corn don't grow. Chet Pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. Those are words. Is it good as what he sees elsewhere on Instagram? Look at me. I just segued right back into the script on Instagram. Right out of the corn. Doesn't feel like he's given as much water and food as other kids' seeds he knows at seed school, which is just normal school, but I'm running an analogy here, and is confused on which way he should grow to find the sunlight through the dirt on his seed head. It's just his normal head. Typical stuff, right? This seed isn't a bad seed. He has 
extra bonks and bruises that might be affecting his normal germination. In this case, he he's German. Close. He's autistic. Oh. He's high functioning, but still, it's a challenge. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> He's high functioning, but still it's a challenge that he struggles with. He's also bipolar, which means that his emotions. He's autistic. Apologies to all the Germans out there. <laughs> He's also bipolar, which means that his emotions might change. Shut the <laughs> Swears. Sorry. Close. He's German. <laughs> autistic. <laughs> He's also bipolar. I'm sorry. Which means that his emotions might change drastically without notice, which, when added to the normal dose of derpy derpentine found in a normal teenage oh, seed child's head, makes things forecast to be cloudy with the chance of meat bullets. He wishes that bipolar meant that he had visited both the North and South Pole, a, a common bragging right of those other kids on Insta, hashtag teen seeds who travel. Also, he really wishes that at this moment in his life, he could move that far away since he's dealing with an extra large helping of bad soil right around him. Recently, you see, police had hauled the boy's father off, Barry Morrison, off to jail, a search of court records revealed that the man was charged with 12 separate felonies for the alleged sexual abuse of a 17-year-old girl. The abuse is alleged to have occurred in the same house on the same soil that our boy Seed was living in at the time. Not exactly what you want to have to discuss with the other Seeds in the rumor mill at school. That kind of rumor mill can crush a sensitive Seed into flour. We are so into this analogy that it's dropping off here soon. I've I've almost worn its welcome out. His mom, yeah. comma, had been dealing with a lot lately, period. He had been dealing with a lot lately. And lately-er, still he had been causing a ruckus with the police and not being a totally good seed, struggling and grumbling with what to do. This last bit of acting out without being properly rooted caused his mom to call 911. She needed help. He needed help. And so did and so she did what any struggling tree would do when they look down and see that their little seed isn't pushing through like it should. She calls 911. Fun fact, if you're listening and you're a tree, 911 can be hard to dial. Seek assistance from a human. Most humans know about this show and they'll be happy to assist in the hopes that they might end up on an episode. So with the, so, comma, without further ado drops, let's leave this ground and get to the root of the problem. <laughs> I feel like a fourth grader wrote that last sentence, hoping that he could be on Reading Rainbow. This whole thing is... Are you ready for me to hit play? Show me that seed. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. Unified Police Department, this is Charlie. I'm having some problems with my 15-year-old son, Sean, at 3845 West Street Circle in Magna. Okay, no. 3845 West Street Circle? Yes. Alright, is this the house or an apartment? House. Alright, what's going on? 
he, I don't know where he's found his dad's bulletproof vest, and I don't know, I don't, I hope he's not found anything under it. He's saying he's breathing so he doesn't hurt us. And I've tried to explain to him that we've had enough drama and problems in our lives, and he's threatening to run away, and... You don't know if he has a gun, real great I don't know. So, is there weapons in the home? I thought they were all locked up, but he's telling me that he found one. Oh my god, he's holding it. What? Do not go in your sister's room. Get out! Alright, sure he is. Hang on a second. Get out! Okay, where is he at right now? He's in the sister's room. With his, with the gun? Yes. What's his name? Sean, and he's leaving. He's got a big black leather trench coat on. How old is he? Sean? Fifteen. Sean is not. Is he leaving now, sir? Yes. Which way, Sean? He's just out on the front. Sean, give me the gun. Sean. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. Give that to me. What's wrong with you, Sean? Sean! Can you go outside? And if you think that he's going to pull on you and he has a gun in his hand, you need to go ahead. He's out in the driveway. He's heading down to the circle. He looks like he's getting ready to go. So where? Where he's going. He's going straight. What direction is that? South. What's going on? He's got a big leather trench coat. He put on a ski mask. He's got black clothes. Yeah, he's going west. And a ski mask? Yeah. He's heading west. And is he wearing the bullet for Yes. What kind of gun is that? And it's a Colt 45. A Colt 45? Yeah. And I don't know a lot about him. It's horrible. It's a handgun. And it's going back this way. He's coming back to your house? No, looks like he's going. Okay, can I? I'm going to transfer you over to the dispatcher, okay? That's take a bit. No, no, no. I'm going to it, okay? Okay, she's going to empty all that, and then I'm going to give you to the dispatcher. That's just left in the office over to your house, okay? Okay. Where's he at right now? Okay, he just headed west past the Overson's house. That's where? They're over some towns. Is that one of your neighbors? Yeah, they're on the corner. I don't see them anymore. You know, that police department is in shape. Hi, I need you to get out here as soon as possible. I have several officers in route at this time. And okay, I'm just going to... I don't know what he's going to do. She's talking about picking a lot to the storage room. I don't know if that's true or... Do you guys have a gun? I have no idea what's loaded. And he's out there wandering around with a gun and a weather trench coat and a ski mask. Hold on, just one minute. Like I said, I have several officers in route. We'll be there shortly, okay? I'm just going to keep you on the line. And I have the officers that are responding on my head right now, okay? Did he make threats towards you guys? He's going to say we're 
Okay. Did he have any other weapons when he left? Yes, I know it. Yes, he has left on. Okay. He's got just to be on security. That's all he has out. Okay. So when you, was the handgun not loaded at the time? I have no idea if it's loaded or not. Okay. Did they end up you stay inside the house, okay? I do not want you going out there. Uh-huh. No, they did not. You stay inside the house. I do not want you going out there. I saw somebody. I know. He saw that our officers. I want you to stay inside the house. Stay on the line with me, okay? I know. I know. Okay, I'm going to disconnect with you, and somebody's going to be over there in just a moment to talk with you, okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay. If it seemed at the end there that she went from hysterics in breathing to more calm when the lady said, are you, are you there with me still? Are you still there? And she was like, I am. The reason was because I cut out 16 minutes of this mother sobbing. Also during that 16 minutes where she's pacing her yard, trying to go down the road near what's happening, trying to get answers. Nothing's happening on the dispatcher end. The woman just keeps coming back and saying, I'm trying to get information. I'm trying to get information. Please stay with me. Don't hang up. Please don't hang up. 16 minutes of that, plus she has a younger son who is just a little bit younger than than this boy. How old was this boy? This boy was 15. Um, and she also has young children. And so during that 16 minutes, you hear a woman who is absolutely beside herself in, within earshot of what she knows is probably a very, very bad situation, having to continue to be a mother to her little kids and to her older son as she was awaiting infor- information and instructions. It was so hard to hear, but it was also super hard to hear because a woman gasping and coughing 
and crying and the phone line being distorted and everything is just, it's a lot on the ears. So I cut it down, but oh my gosh, it, uh, it made me think about the question that you, that you and I had discussed earlier about like, at what point when you see something happen, do you just throw the shackles on a, you know, oh, I mean, in this case. It's when they ask for that black trench coat. Yeah. Also, I think they're. That's, what year did this happen? 2012. Yeah, so if you've got a child and they ask for a black trench coat, yeah, you need two questions. One, have you seen the crow? Yeah. And if they say no, then that only leads to one thing. School shooter. Yeah, and I would start that with A, have you seen the crow? Yes or no, and they answer and then you say finish this name, Dylan and they, if they excitedly go Klebold, then then you wrestle them to the ground. Then there's time intervention time. Yeah, intervention time. That's and it's hard to wrap my head around what exactly I would do as far as a process of intervention. All I know is that it's at that point where I would be very very apt to rapidly intervene. I don't know. I don't know because in that situation, it's like. Okay, here, here's how things played out. You heard her say that he had a bulletproof vest on. Yeah. And she didn't know how he had gotten a hold of his father's bulletproof vest. Also that he had a 45, which is – Yeah, Colt. Colt, a Colt 45, which is um, – it's a service weapon. It can be a service weapon. 40, yeah. 45 and a 9 millimeter, those are the two most common rounds you find in service weapons. All of this starts playing out. She's had all these problems with him. He's had run-ins with the police for just little miscreant stuff. The thing that I think is most maybe part of the root of the problem in this story are the absence of two things. One, his father was absent suddenly. That has to be an immense issue clouding this boy's mind. And, and can, what do you, can you guess what the other element do you think that's missing here is? Pants. Ads. I hate you so much. <laughs> Gotta pay the bills. Gotta pay the bills. Okay, I'm back, and that was insensitive. But so we're missing the father. We're missing What's the, the father. other thing. Well, and I think the other thing that's missing here, possibly, and it's such. I got to be honest. I know this route so well. Is finding resources for a kid who's already a teenager, so his brain's all kerfuffle, but also is high-functioning autistic, which honestly sometimes poses more of a problem than someone that is low-functioning because low-functioning, very visible that the child needs help and very visible that that child's going to get special attention and maybe special treatment within school or another facility. High-functioning... The child doesn't want to be autistic. The child is borderline socially aware all the time. The, the, the teachers, he's just, they're just odd enough that a normal teacher may not have the guts or the proclivity or the, the capability or skill or training to, to give that child what they need. So they are kind of jettisoned out to a special needs classroom, but they're high functioning. So they're sitting in a special needs classroom with a bunch of kids that aren't high functioning. Labeling the child is just different. By the way, on top of all that, the normal teenage stuff, hormones right. are raging. Yeah. 
he wants to be accepted by friends and he wants to have a girlfriend and and he he doesn't want to be bipolar and so many things and then suddenly you cast his father as a pedo into jail this kid's dealing with a lot now i'm not dismissing anything that he's done in this case i think it's important to make clear the bulletproof vest and the and the gun were secured in a safe location in a safe and he you could imagine any any teenager who really wants to get at something, they're going to find a way. Could have been that safe. It could have been a friend's house, uh, you know, whatever, illegal methods. But in this case, he, on a whim, just went and put the bulletproof vest on and grabbed the nine mil, the, the 45, and then told his mother that he was leaving the house to avoid hurting them. Very um, Howard Unruh. Yeah. That's what it makes me think of. If you remember the first mass shooter. Yes. Howard Unruh, he was a World War One veteran, I believe. Or was it World War Two? It doesn't matter. But no, nah, he was World War Two because he had fought the Nazis. But uh, the first mass shooter just did it on a whim. Yep. Walked out, told his mother goodbye, I believe, right? And then – or did he kill her? No, he said goodbye because he ended up coming back. Remember, he went back. Yeah, to, he came back. Yeah, I don't remember if he killed her first. Good question. I remember when he came back after killing all these people, the police called, and he told them that he couldn't talk. He was busy. Yeah, that was a haunting conversation that they had. But yeah, this whole thing is very Howard Unruh. That's what it makes me think of. Well, and, and you think about the gerbily jarble that's going on in a teenage kid's head he grabs this he's he's look he's unresolved he has no closure he's already mixed up he's got he's got extra things on top of that social issues were probably all upside down he grabs a gun grabs the bulletproof vest on a whim it knows enough that he doesn't want to hurt his family and so he walks like some dumb cocker spaniel puppy down the road like he's bulletproof in a black trench coat in a black trench coat looking for a problem. Which is a problem. Yeah, yeah. The second you put on a black trench coat, you are the problem. Exactly. And that's hard for me to swallow really because late 80s, early 90s, any time a big country music western, country western music star came to town – Everybody wore a duster to the concert. Everybody. Yeah. That was pre-1999. Yeah. So that that was pre- Or wait, it was 97. 2000. You're talking about That's Columbine? That's when Columbine happened? Yeah. Columbine was 2000? I was thinking it was 99 for some reason. Okay. Well, I don't know, actually. All I know is I was in Denver at the Art Institute when that happened. When was? Columbine. Columbine. 1999. 99. Okay, so I was yeah, so you were right. I apologize. You were right. I was not right. We should I should be more well researched if I'm gonna speak on a microphone. Anyway, what we I We agree though that anybody in a black trench coat is a problem. Now, yeah. Also, another one that I felt was a bummer was when I was in high school, I actually enjoyed for a period of time wearing a white shirt, denim jeans, Doc Martin boots, and red suspenders. Just because I, you know, it was my unique way of expressing myself. Also come to find out that's the uh, common apparel for skinheads. 
And it got banned at my school pretty quick. You're because, lucky you looked Mexican. <laughs> yeah. Apparently we actually, and you did. We had a couple skinheads at our school. Why do you look so – why did your younger pictures of you, you do look very Spanish. I know. As a kid, I have literally – I avoided working food service jobs because put black pants and a white shirt on me and I look like I work at a Mexican restaurant. It doesn't matter if I'm just standing outside somewhere. They're like, are you, are you heading to work? No, I'm going to church. Oh, you look like you're 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 working service at a, a Mexican restaurant, sir. Yeah, you 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 could either be confused wearing your attire for a skinhead or Gallagher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should have just carried around a big mallet, and nobody would have questioned you. Yeah, or a one watermelon and a mallet. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Gallagher. No, but yeah, it was a very conflicting time in my life. I had many wardrobe changes because. My outfits kept being associated with extremist groups. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, much like, much different than later, like nowadays, it's your ideology. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just opening my mouth associates me with extremist groups. So that's fun. Uh, it was all training, I guess. Uh, anyway, okay. So according to the police, yeah. Dress for the job you want. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, no. Like I said, he told his mother that he was leaving the house so that he would not hurt anyone. Salt Lake County Sheriff Jim Jim Winder said that Sean Morrison, age 15, was seen by witnesses walking through his western Salt Lake County neighborhood when he eventually confronted officers firing at least two shots at them. Quote, the suspect continued to run through the neighborhood, subsequently barricading himself near a vehicle. Winder said there was a confrontation where the suspect fired first. Our officers returned fire, striking the individual a minimum of four times. Sean Morrison was transported to Pioneer Valley Hospital in an extremely critical condition and later succumbed to his injuries. The sheriff called the incident a tragedy, noting the circumstances surrounding the victim and his emotional well-being left the law enforcement veteran wondering if... Did they just read that off of a... News article? Slate. No, the what the police say every time there's a shooting. Oh. It's yeah. like, yeah, just use the stock. Yeah. The, the stock answer. Just Google it. Yeah. This is a tragedy that was unavoidable. Yeah. Uh well, he, Next paragraph. he did ponder whether or not he thought something could have been done to prevent the, the outcome. His final statement was, the family involved in this has had repeated contact with the law enforcement over the past several weeks, if not months. Our hearts go out to the family. This is just a bad, bad situation. I can't help but think of my own son when I, when I think of a story like this, like because well, you have a fifteen-year-old. I have a fi- I have a fifteen-year-old, uh, and I I don't think I don't think of Sam as a liability in this way. But I've I've seen his teenage mind be, you know, all cattywampus and 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 not right at sometimes. Like, and on top of that, he also has a high-functioning autism. It's true, exactly. He doesn't have any trench coats though. He doesn't. And you know what? At this point, I am I am really happy to say that I am glad to know that the uh, the diagnosis he was given when he was six, which was 
the neurologist that had done the assessment on him said, we're putting down here that he has autism because that will qualify you for getting a lot of help. Uh, but labeling him as an autistic child would be a gross misrepresentation of the truth given a couple methods of therapy and vocational education, you know, counseling help. He'll develop right through the things that actually currently qualify him as an autistic kid. He still struggles, but for all intents and purposes, you wouldn't know it if you met him. But I do, I still struggle, you know, because like at 9.30 at night, I go in and I'm like, son, have you showered? And he's like, no. When did we start doing that? I'm like, I don't know. Every day of your life, 9.30 is when you have to shower by. This is stupid. I don't have to go to, I, I, tomorrow's not even a school day. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's called hygiene. 9.30 you shower and you're in bed by 11. What? You have underarm, is, na- underarm hair now. Yeah. You got you to gotta shampoo that every day. Oh. But the repeated conversations just makes you makes you understand how like a kid could just sort of I don't know flip out. Yeah, you know I don't re- I don't remember that period being that. You mean like have being the fifteen? Like I know we always talk and we're going through it right now with our teenager. But I always tell my wife like I don't remember. Like maybe I went through that, but I don't recall that period where everything was cattywampus and my hormones were right. Like I never felt crazy. Like at any point that I recall in my teenage years, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I know it's a thing, but I just, I don't know. I don't, maybe I was going through it and I just didn't realize it. Well, I don't want to put too fine of a point on what I know about, about you, but I know other kids in my family sphere that are dealing with life, family situations that, that mirrored some of yours. And I would say that in their case, and I would maybe presume in your case as well, you had to grow up faster than you would have liked because of, you know, your your father's situation and everything. I mean, there were some sobering adult things you were dealing with, which probably would have prevented you from acting stupid. Yeah, that's fair. You know? Yeah. I mean, you probably were super stupid. Oh, for sure. I mean, like probably Uh, a giant idiot. But I still am. Well, didn't uh, grow out of that. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. We're working on that, buddy. Anyway, thirty six. Thirty six. We're getting there. Hey, so. I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to progress past the mental age of seventeen. So I, hello, pot. That one hand job ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> that darn van every time i see one that looks like they just go into a little never aged pet. that hand nope. job was like the <laughs> that was oh, the mental cap man. was that story too much information no it was great you well, better not edit that out i won't but it was boy it was embarrassing but at the same time i think it says a lot about like I don't know. My parents should feel very proud that they they generated a climate in the house, an environment that afforded a child to feel like they could talk to their parents that openly. And I, I, don't know. I was the same way with my mom. I could I could talk to my mom. I mean, my mom knew I was having sex at twelve. You know, sixteen years old. Oh yeah, sixteen. Right. And I and it was something that I never felt like that felt taboo. Taboo. Yeah. Like like I, I, if I had a problem, I could talk to her. That's awesome. That's good. I agree. I think that's a healthy relationship with your parents. Mom's a realist, you know. Mom's, she's not got blinders on. She never did. 
She was always just kind of like, just don't be a swear. fucking idiot. Don't don't be an idiot. And when you were, you're going to do stupid swear. Yeah, she probably rubbed your yeah, nose in exactly it like that. Yeah. yeah, just I know you're going to do stupid swear. <laughs> just don't be an idiot. <laughs> I like your mom, and I've never even met her. Uh, well, anyway, uh, I do have a happy ending. Okay. He died. Did I get to oh, that? I did. Jesus Christ. He died. He died. I think I covered that already. He succumbed to his injuries. Just a terrible situation. I just, my heart goes out to that mother and just everybody involved. It's a, oof, bad news. How about a happy ending? Yes, please. Okay. This one has to do with the bus. I'll call this one the kid on the bus. Okay. Here we go. 911, any police fire medical? Stop for the transfer. Okay. Versad and Orlando Avenue. I copied Orlando Avenue and where? Versad. They just passed me on Boulevard. Yeah, we just we just passed up under I four. We're coming up on a. Uh, give me one second. Sean's coming up. Right, seventeen ninety two on Maitland. Is that where you're telling me? Yeah, we're coming up to O'Brien Road. We're passing through Orlando Avenue and O'Brien Road. Okay, what's the problem? Uh, there's someone driving this Lynx bus, and he's not a Lynx driver. He's barely, he's, he's maybe 16 at that. He's not wearing a uniform. They pulled, they pulled out all the uh, electronic boxes to collect money and tickets, and he's having people put the money in, like, the little strong box up front. There's no security camera. They've stripped this bus down, what they're doing, and they're trying to make – they're giving people rides on this bus. Okay, so you're on a bus, and there's a 16-year-old driving it, and he's taking money from people? Is that what you're telling yeah. me? Yes. Is he armed? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. We're now at Lake of Woods Boulevard, Orlando Avenue and Lake of Woods Boulevard. And what color bus is it? I, I think it's blue. I can't remember. I got on it, didn't think anything about it. Is he making any stops? He, he was. He, he's only he's only stopping at uh, lights now. He's not making any other stops. He's, he's not, not letting people off the bus. Uh, no, it's me and another dude right here. The, um, he had to, there's only two people on the bus, sir? Yeah, he let another guy out. A guy got on, another guy out. I told the guy to call the police, and he got off. But uh, this kid's just driving around now. Oh, there's a guy right here waiting for a ride. He's like, Is he pulling over? No, he's not pulling over. If he, stop, if he stops again, I'm going to pull him out of his seat. Which point, we just turned into Lakes of Woods Hold Boulevard. Hold on just a second, sir. We just turned into Lakes of Woods Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Very wonderful. This is safe. It's a possible thing on 23 on the Lakes bus. They're driving possible juvenile driving the bus. He's not stopping at the bus stop and taking money from the customer. Here's his response on small shelter. Where are you at? <laughs> Where are you at now? Uh, we're still on Lake of the Woods Boulevard. There's a police officer right in front of us. He's on Lake of the Woods Boulevard advising that he sees a police officer at the time. He, he, he just stopped. I can't tell what street sign it is. Is the is your bus red? I think so. That's 10 for the red bus on Lake of the Woods. Where are you at? Are you stopped or? Yeah, the police officer's turning around. He's, 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 he's driving again. <laughs> Cops coming right at us. Okay, he says you're stopped. Oh, we're moving now. We're moving. We're moving. The cops coming right at us. We're at Fonta Branda. And where? Fonta Branda and uh, Lake of Woods. I am not understanding that name. Fonta Branda and Lake of the Start Woods. Start for me. 
uh, F-O-N-T-E-B-R-A-N-D-A. We're coming up to Oxford Road. Coming up to Oxford? And you're on a red bus, and you see the officer. I, I can't remember what color bus it is. He advised you to come up to Oxford. We just passed the sheriff's car, so. Okay. I've got him right there, 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 where? Are you turning on Oxford now? Yes, turn, make it a left, going north. Yes, that's it. Is a male passenger on the bus? Okay. He just stopped. He's stopping? He's stopping. Hold on a second. Hello? 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 <laughs> Two things. Okay. One. What an... Oh, swear. <laughs> to call the police on somebody that's giving you a rod. What a buzzkill. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> Two, I'm genuinely slightly envious of this young man <laughs> that now has this story for the rest of his life. Right. Regardless of how much time he has to serve in juvenile delinquent centers. <laughs> Remember that time I stole a bus and drove people around town and took bus fares? That's like legendary status as a 16, 15-year-old. <laughs> And see how hard is it to find a swear big red school bus. <laughs> also, I was struggling for a bit, but I was like, no, I guess once you're on a bus, it's pretty hard to see the outside of a bus. Yeah, no matter where you try to look. Yeah. I mean, you've ever tried to look through a window? You can't yeah, see the possible. Those windows don't even open enough. Uh, and if you could, you can stuck your head out. You now look suspicious to the driver that is not supposed to be driving. Oh. Yeah, you just look up and you're like, that fellow looks like he's trying to determine the outside color of this bus that we're riding. <laughs> he's on the phone, too. And every yes. time I turn, he says a street name. You know, you just know while he was on the phone, every time that kid looked up in the rearview mirror, he gave him like a, hey. Like <laughs> he's a, like, hey, bro. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Girlfriend. Ah, ah. <laughs> so this happened in late October of 2006 in Orlando, Florida. And this was another 15-year-old kid. 15-year-old kid got on stole uh they kept saying Lynx bus, which was L Y N X. It's a, you know, local bus route bus. And uh yeah, so he he drove a 13-mile joyride, uh, picking up passengers, taking their money, just like normal, <laughs> and just driving around until he got caught. His parents had just bought him Crazy Taxi on the Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I think I could do this in real life. <laughs> oh, man. And that's how he started the bus, too. He was like, up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, B, A. And the bus just started. Oh. So anyway, he he did What get, a legend. <laughs> he did 4 years in juvenile detention for uh, Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> like you said, legend though. I would be really curious to know what this kid's doing today. Like I would too. He's probably He's a CEO. Yeah, he's wherever he is. He's a ridiculous success somewhere or he's dead. 
One of the two. Because you said this was 2006. Yeah. So he is 32 now. 31. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's either Wherever falls he deep in an addiction or he's uh, falls deep, deep in, in a something. secretary. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. I shouldn't have said that. Regardless, he's balls deep so, wherever it is. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that's all I have uh, for today. And um, remember, oh, I, I thought I'd sh- I should probably mention this. I thought it was over for a second. I was like. <laughs> you may hear a couple ads peppered here and there for some new 1159 Media stuff that has now hit the free feeds. Tether's podcast has a massive number of episodes that are being released as they're produced on Patreon, and they come out weekly on wherever you listen to podcasts. So check out Tether's podcast. It's a, I love it. I am really excited that we have this new podcast. It's, it feels cold and Stephen King-like and a little Very bit. Very different than what anything else 1159 Media does. Yeah. I'm still at a loss as to whether or not the story is real or fictional. If It has a bit of an upside down-ish kind of feel to it. And I just love it. Written by a, a, an amazing writer. I'd like to take credit for the production, but he produces the show himself. And, and then I just finish it off, sweeten it, and distribute it. But we're excited to have Chase Ellerman's show, Tethers. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm also going to do a feed drop here on this feed of an episode of Tethers to give you a taste. Also, we have our Never Daily podcast, Extraterrestrials podcast. Uh, season one is now available wherever you listen to podcasts, 30 episodes. Check that out. When you binge that and you get done, Come over to Patreon if you want, uh, patreon.com forward slash 1159media, and and you can binge all of the episodes that have been produced to date of Tethers, as well as season two, which just closed out, actually, on Patreon, and we're moved into season three on that show. So we have a massive number of daily show episodes. If you like 911, I think you'd like extraterrestrials because it's basically 911 swap out the 911 call part for crazy stories about science or space or mysteries or whodunits or murder or just the weird things that happen on our planet or in the solar system or the universe around us it's a lot of fun and if you like 911 calls and you like the daily show Give TCK a shot. Yeah, it's basically nine one one calls in the day and the Daily Show. Swap out all the, of it <laughs> for a highly researched for a highly. Oh yeah, I guess that's <laughs> swap out everything you know about nine one one calls and go check out True Crime Kent, where Kent digs deep, balls deep into many cases. Right now, we are. Oh, we're about nipple deep into the anthill kids, which that's going to be about six hours when we're done with it. Six three parts. Hours. The way that we do that show is if it's a multi-part, like a multi-part episode, um, all of the episodes as they're produced uh, get released on Patreon, and then all of the episodes of the multi-part series get dropped all at the same time on the public feed. So if you want to catch up, check out or. Binge another 1159 Media show. We also have, yeah, True Crime Kent or TCK as it's affectionately known. Uh, 
great host. The the co-host is amazing. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're excited. We've got You're a lot. You're the uh, reaction guy. Yeah, I'm the, oh my gosh, what are you oh, wow. kidding me? Holy wild stuff. Yeah. So it's like we flip roles on that show. So lots, lots going on. We've got new shows coming up and reboots of new shows that, that haven't made it out of the gates yet. All of it's coming your way. and Or just stay right here and, and continue to listen here. We love that you're here and uh, you share your earballs with us for a little bit. Anyway, I love you. I love you. I love you, Kent. I know, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hugs, everybody. Bye.